I'm sure you know the drill by now. You create an account, you find a cute quote, or say something maybe even passive-aggressive on your bio because you're really bad at describing yourself. And you think that if you really describe yourself, then people might not like you. And God forbid that would happen. So then you spend so much of your time, your precious time, swiping, judging, messaging, going on dates, filtering through the sea of fuckboys and players. Oh, and then there's a bonus for us poly folks. Filtering through the people who are just curious about being open so they keep a conversation going, make it seem like they want to meet, make it seem like they're going to date you, then it just hits them. That moment when they realize they need to abort the mission. And congratulations, you have just confirmed to a monogamous person that they are not poly or open. But there is a positive side to this. At least now you have educated someone, you have blessed them with the information and a little taste of non-monogamy and what that entails. So who knows what kind of ripple effect that could have, right? Okay, that may have been quite the slippery slope, but now we enter the world of dating apps. And for some of us, that's our reality. Welcome back to another episode of Polly's Dollhouse with your host, myself, The Polly Pocket. I am going to be talking about dating apps today, giving you tips on how to meet people outside of dating apps. Also, if you are on dating apps, I will tell you how to best engage so that you actually get dates and more matches. Lastly, for today's crazy story of the week, I'm going to be talking about purity culture and the horrors of sex education in modern day, and I will finish off today's episode by answering a question from an Instagram follower. I really hope you enjoy this episode. If you do, make sure to tune back here every Thursday for new episodes. Also, make sure to follow me on Instagram at The Polly Pocket. Let's get on with today's episode. So I have a little confession to make, and that is that I am officially back on dating apps. Well, app, not apps. We, my husband and I, my primary partner, uh, we decided to get back on dating apps together, and we tried Tinder, which I ended up deleting in like a day because... I just never have any luck on there, Um, and I find a lot of people have very similar experiences on Tinder. Uh, So we are now on Field, and I am really loving that app, actually. We're having some luck matching with other couples. We've been chatting with some people on there, and it feels like a very inclusive space. And one feature that I really love about this app is that you can link your partner's profile to yours. So for example, in my profile, when you scroll down at the bottom of my bio, it will show my partner's page as well. So this lets other people know, you know, that I'm already in some kind of arrangement with somebody else. And I think this app really caters to people who are open, non-monogamous or polyamorous. And it's been pretty easy to navigate so far and like I said we have had some luck on there and it seems like 
the people in there are looking for a lot of the same things that we are. Um, We recently decided to open up our polycule to include some exploration with either a, a third person or a couple. And this was just kind of something that came on randomly. I was having a conversation with somebody about group sex and it just kind of really intrigued me. I have never had experience with um, group sex in the sense of like swapping or even same room play. Um, That always to me kind of fell under the category of swingers and we have never identified a swinger. So this is definitely new to us. Um, It's something we're willing to try, but we have also, you know, discussed our boundaries already and have decided, you know, if we try this and we don't like it, it's not for us. It's okay to, you know, take it back a step or two and just not pursue that anymore. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. I recently also shared a post, well, a series of posts on my Instagram page where I broke down my polycule. And a polycule is basically your arrangement. So everybody involved in your arrangement. So you can go onto my page and check that out. I did do very detailed captions for each each uh, photo explaining how I went from just my primary partner and I to the arrangement we have now, which is kind of a bit of a web, um, if you look at the diagram. And in that diagram, we now have a new uh, a new part of it, which would be you know, the part where the third person or the couple would fit into. We are not looking to get into anything permanent, so we're not looking to do a closed quad or triad or thruple or anything like that. At this time, we're just kind of exploring, you know, some playtime with other people. So that's what drew us to getting back on dating apps. Um, And to give you a little bit of background on my experience with dating apps, the first time I ever had any experience with dating apps was just about a year and a half ago when we decided to open up and we made an account together on an app that was specifically for threesomes, I believe. And we didn't have too much luck on there. A lot of the people were just looking to hook up and at the time... We weren't really sure exactly what was best for us, um, but we weren't liking the advances that we were getting from people. So we got off of that. We went on a website called Open Minded, and I don't believe they're around anymore, actually. Um, And that's the site that I met my first partner on, you know, my first the first person that would end up being my first outside partner. Um. Then after that, we decided to date individually, and then we each got on dating apps separately. So we were both on Tinder, we were both on OkCupid and Bumble, all of the the very popular dating apps. Um, And I would say, I think Bumble and OkCupid were some of the better experiences that I had. I think what happened with Tinder... I feel like Tinder's just full of a lot of single people just looking to hook up. Um, And I found myself having to explain myself a lot to people on there. 
And I did not like that. I feel like the quality of people that I was matching with just didn't really meet my standards. So I got off Tinder after I ended up going on a horrible date with somebody from there. And I haven't been back on since we, you know, decided to get on it together. But like I said, we ended up actually deleting it because I don't think there's a lot of couples on there. Um, It just seems to be more of like the place for singles. Once I felt like I had enough potential partners, uh, enough people that I was already talking to, I decided to get off of dating apps. I also found that being on so many dating apps at once was really time consuming and draining of my energy at times because I would find myself just swiping and swiping and trying to message people and having conversations with so many different people. I almost had the feeling of being polysaturated, which is when you feel like, you know, you have as many connections as you can handle. So I got off of apps earlier this year in 2020. And I think that was in like February, maybe January, right around the beginning of the year. And it really was nice not being on dating apps um, and not feeling like I had to give my time to so many different people at once. Um, So I kind of focused on strengthening the relationships that I already had, especially my primary relationship. And that's kind of what we've been doing. We've been really working hard to strengthen our connection. Um, And then I've also been catering a lot and putting a lot of effort and energy into my other ongoing connection. Um, So that's the reason why I left the dating app world to begin with. And I understand that dating apps are not for everyone, even though it seems like that's what everyone's doing. I think that's kind of the go-to right now. Um, it, It almost feels like that's like the easy way out. And it's, it can be an easy way to meet people, but Oftentimes, I think you you find yourself meeting people who aren't really meeting up to your standards. And I was just talking to my primary partner about this, but one thing that has changed in the last year, almost year and a half of us being open is that I now stand firm with my standards. I don't lower my standards just to make a connection or just to go on a date. I I'm pretty solid in my um, lifestyle and I'm pretty solid in my beliefs and what I'm looking for. And if somebody is not going to fit into that, then I don't really waste a lot of time anymore trying to make them fit, you know? So looping back around to dating apps and the whole point of this episode is to talk about how, how we can meet people in a digital world You know, everybody, it seems like almost everybody's on social media and dating apps. And it's, it can seem like now, especially too with the pandemic, it can seem like it's impossible to meet people out in the real world in real time. So I kind of came up with a few things that have worked for me in meeting new people. A lot of times these people that I meet end up being friends, um, but that doesn't mean that these ways of meeting people 
can't turn into romantic relationships or even casual sexual relationships. You know, it kind of it, it kind of takes its own like a life of its own, I guess, um, and will evolve in the way that it's meant to. So you have to be open to these things. Work. So one way that I found it's pretty easy to meet people with similar interests, and yes, this is online, um, but it's not on dating apps, and that is Facebook groups. There is a Facebook group for just about every interest out there. So if you have specific hobbies, you know, and interests, you can find a group for that and you can meet people who are like-minded. So that's almost a guarantee that you're going to meet somebody who has some of the same interests as you. And it can kind of make it easier too to start a conversation because these people already know whatever it is, the topic of discussion, like they already know the background of it. And I think a conversation can easily flow if you're meeting somebody right off the bat that you know you have something in common with. Another way to meet people is local gatherings, which I know right now can be a little bit difficult. Um, but there are some places that are still having gatherings, um, but a little bit modified, you know, to kind of fit fit in with all the restrictions going on right now. Um, and one way to find local gatherings also is on Facebook groups. I know that's how I have found a lot of events in my area um, is through Facebook groups. But then at these local gatherings, you can meet the people in real time that you talk to online. So, and it kind of can go from there to where you decide if you want to keep it online only or take it into real time and in real life. Um, other places can be the gym or the yoga studio or, you know, wherever you go to work out. Maybe if you walk a trail regularly and there might be people who also walk a trail with, you know, not with you, but um, maybe on the same days as you. So like if you go to, to a park or a hiking trail and there's, I guess, what would be considered regulars that go often, similar to what you would find in a gym or yoga studio, um, maybe try striking up a conversation with those people who you see often and on a regular basis. Um, like I said, community events, that kind of goes into tying in with the local gatherings. Um, and some of the community events have been now switched over to online. So you could still interact with people, uh, you know, and through virtual events. And then you can take it from the virtual event into a conversation and then decide if you guys want to meet up. Another place that I notice has events and gatherings that would cater to similar interests is your local bookstore. I know both of the both of the local bookstores in my area always have some kind of event going on. Um, but again, you'll have to check in your area to see, you know, if maybe some of these events have actually been moved to be virtual or if they're still hosting them. Um, you could even create your own Facebook group or your own events and draw people into you that way that would have similar interests. And then this last one is probably one of the easiest way, I think, to meet people, and that is through mutual friends. 
your friends know you. Your friends sometimes can even answer things about you that you can't about yourself. Your friends can see you in a different light from a different perspective. So I think having your friends' opinions can be really valuable in meeting other people. And, you know, you could always count on your friends as long as you are surrounding yourself with really high quality friendships. I think you can definitely trust your friends to set you up with, you know, people that they think would be good for you. And at the end of the day, if your friends really love you and they're good quality friendships, they're going to want to have your best interest in mind. So I think there's a little bit of um, a relief in knowing that they would set you up with somebody that might be a really good match for you. And lastly, if you have close relationships with your coworkers, you know, to the point where they have become friends, this can also be another opportunity to have, you know, other people kind of help you meet new people. So I think we can come to the conclusion that there are ways, there definitely are still quite a few ways to meet people that doesn't require you to get on dating apps or be online all day long scrolling and swiping um, because that can get really exhausting at times. So I think you just have to be um, open to showing up. And that kind of leads me to my next tip, and that's the practice of saying yes. Um, You never know what you'll miss out on, you know? So I think it's important to say yes when you get invited to things. Obviously, um, there's a lot of power in saying no, and I think that gets talked about a lot, obviously, because we don't want to cross any of our boundaries or put ourselves in compromising situations where we, you know, might be compromising our safety or mental health. So always take care of yourself first. But, you know, if a friend asks you to come out to dinner with, you know, other friends that maybe you haven't met before, instead of getting into that fear of, oh, I've never met these people before, and I think we can kind of end up going into this spiral of of thoughts um, and insecurities, So instead of saying no from a place of fear, practice saying yes and showing up because that's the only way that you're going to put yourself in opportunities that could lead to a very positive outcome. So I think saying yes is really important, of course, showing up. And there are definitely ways and we just have to get creative. So while dating apps are not my preferred method of approaching and meeting new people, it still is a very common practice. So for those of you who are on dating apps or who do want to be on dating apps and meet people online, I have a few tips for you on how you can engage, um, such as setting up your profile and messaging other people. So I have three tips for when you are setting up your profile which can be a little bit challenging and intimidating at times because I think many of us can struggle with talking about ourselves in a positive way. And, you know, a lot of times we get caught up in not, come, not wanting to come off so um, 
cocky or self-centered. But I think this is an opportunity for us to really show our best selves and put our best foot forward and really show people how we can add more value to their lives if they decide to engage with us and if they decide to have a conversation and meet up. So number one, I think is is so important, and that's transparency. So really focusing on making sure that you are expressing exactly what it is that you're trying to get out of being on the app. Um, This is especially important for people in open relationships um, and polyamorous relationships because not everybody on the app may be looking for the same thing. So I think it's really important to clarify exactly what you're looking for and to be transparent about your goals and your desires and where you are in life right now. Second tip is to make sure that you're uploading more recent photos. Um, And I would prefer no filter. So almost always when I see people who only have pictures of themselves, but it's filters where I can't even really see their whole face and what they actually look like, I almost always will not swipe to match with them. Um, It just comes off more authentic if you put up a photo of just yourself, you know, and you're not trying to hide anything with a filter or, I don't know, some of them are cute, but I just don't think that dating apps, you know, your profile, I don't think that's a place to be loaded up with filtered photos. Um, And I, I don't think you need a lot of photos either. I would say maybe like two to three photos is plenty. And then once you get into a conversation, then you can exchange more photos. But I just think putting up photos of yourself that are recent and are not filtered also goes in with being transparent because you're showing who you are. And I know that can be scary at times to put ourselves out there like that, but that's my tip. Um, also, if you intend on meeting people from these apps, you want you want to use a picture that's recent because if you're going to meet up with them, you want to look like yourself. You don't want to put up a picture from 10 years ago and then they meet you and you don't look anything like your picture. So that can be a little bit, it can feel a little bit deceiving um, to the other person if you're if you're kind of not sharing who you are right now. Um, And then the last tip for creating your profile is to create a short and sweet bio. So you can always get into the details when you're in a conversation with someone. But the goal of your bio is you want people to match with you, right? So a lot of times when people are swiping and scrolling, they their attention span is not very long. So most likely they will not be reading your three-paragraph bio uh, if it's really long. So I always keep it really short and sweet, maybe even just do bullet points, maybe include like three of your hobbies, two or three things you're interested in, um, 
what you're looking for and then also explain your relationship status if you are open. Um, But yeah, I usually will just say something like the first thing will be in an open marriage or in a polyamorous relationship. Um, And then the next thing will be I enjoy doing this, this, and this. And maybe I'll put in like a favorite quote or a favorite song or something um, that says, you know, something about myself. And it's just short and sweet. And then once you match with someone, your conversation will lead to the point of getting to know more about them. So there's no need to write long bios that people probably aren't going to read anyway. Okay, so you have your bio. You have your photos and you have been matching. Okay, so now when you get into the part where you have to engage with somebody because you've matched, these tips are for you. Okay, so the number one thing that I think will really draw the person's attention and will set you apart from a lot of other people on the dating apps is how you approach them in your first message. So what I like to do is to make sure that I mention something from their bio. So when I'm, and I used to not do this, um, at first I would just say, say like hi with an emoji or something like, but I feel like everybody does that. That's the majority of people's approach. Um, But I have found that writing a thought out message will get get your attention, you know? Um, So saying something like, hey, I saw in your bio, dot, dot, dot. And right there, you're letting them know that you, one, did read their bio, and two, that you're interested. So if someone has in their bio that they're into yoga. I will say, hey, how are you? I saw in your bio that you're into yoga. I'm into yoga too. And this is a studio that I really like. Where do you go? And and right there, a conversation has been started. And it's different because it's not like, oh, what are you looking for? Like, I really don't like that question. So, and that's kind of a segue into my next tip. So instead of asking, what are you looking for? You can ask, what is your ideal outcome from this? And that kind of opens up a whole, a whole nother opportunity for them to really be honest with you and explain to you exactly what they're looking for instead of listing off qualities. So I think when you say, what are you looking for? Personally, for me, my mind automatically goes into list mode and I start listing qualities and, and I don't really take the time to think about my answer. But I think asking, what is your ideal outcome from this? Or what is the reason for you being on this app? I think can open up for, for a better, more meaningful discussion. And I think it can also open up for you guys to figure out right away whether you are compatible or not as far as what it is that your ideal outcome is. And then the last tip is 
don't be aggressive because no one likes to feel pressured. I do not like aggressive approaches. I don't like when people have messaged me and have been like, oh, so when are we going to meet right away? You know, before we even have that initial conversation, um, I don't like that aggressive approach. I really don't. And I think a lot of people don't like it either. So just try to be um, less aggressive, but still be confident, you know. Aggressive doesn't mean, uh, like, you can still be aggressive in a confident way, but not in a way that you are offending them or crossing any boundaries or coming off as, like, really cocky. And, yeah, so those are my tips for engaging in dating apps. And I think that can also work for when you're talking in person, when you finally meet, you know, asking those more open-ended questions and questions that are going to get them to really think. And I think that'll set you apart from all the other people that they meet on dating apps. So I think it's time we change gears a little bit and move on to our next segment. So today's sex story of the week is actually not one that anybody submitted in it's not one of my personal stories it's actually not even a real sex story as far as the act of engaging in sexual activity it's something though that I thought was pretty crazy still and that I think needs to be talked about and that is purity culture and terrible sex education or more like lack thereof because I think Personally, the quote-unquote sex education that I had should not even count as sex education. So uh, first, let's talk about purity culture and what that is. So when you look up the definition of purity purity culture, uh, what you get is the culture of abstinence. Uh, The label purity culture has a range of meanings. Many use it in its most literal form to refer to its efforts, especially in conservative Protestant Christianity, to promote sexual abstinence prior to marriage. So it's pretty much what it sounds like. And purity culture can be really damaging. I was a product of that, uh, you know, having grown up, well, I can't say, like, I wasn't in church my whole life, but I would say I was in church for some of the very important years, developmental years of my life, which was my preteen years all the way up through my uh, teens. So, you know, a time when kids are, are discovering themselves and have a lot of questions and are really curious about certain things, um, you know, in purity culture, they're being told that it's shameful, that sex is shameful, sexuality is shameful. Uh, For example, for me, I just, I remember being taught that even having desires was sinful. So even the thought, even thinking about being attracted to somebody and having desires for them was like pretty much your ticket to hell. Um, and 
it involved even not being able to, and I still, I still did anyway. I listened to whatever music I wanted, but I remember even being told that listening to certain music was provocative and sinful because it, it made you lust and the lyrics were just inappropriate. And it was a whole, whole load of shit pretty much. And, um, I do remember one time it was a girl's youth group. And I, I believe most of the time we actually did get split up. Um, girls and boys did their classes separately. Um, which I think is problematic because I'm sure that what the boys were being taught was different than from what the girls were being taught. So I remember one class, like a Bible study youth group in particular, and to be honest, at this time, I don't even think I was supposed to be in this class um, because a lot of the people in the class were a lot older than me. But I was in a place where I was kind of in between. Um, I don't remember how old I was, but my age, it's almost like I was too old to be in with the younger kids, but I was still kind of too young to be with the like teen youth group. Um, but I still got put in that anyway. And I remember someone asking if oral sex was bad or if oral sex was a sin. And so to give a little bit of background, purity culture isn't just about abstinence, but it also, their teachings about sex is that sex is only penetration. Um, So they think that sex is only a penis in a vagina. So going back to this question that this person asked, the pastor said, um, if we were made to have oral sex, she said our genitals would be on our faces. And that was the most ridiculous thing I have ever heard in my entire life. And like, that was her explanation as to why oral sex is a sin and why it's bad. So she was pretty much teaching that the only form the only form of sex that is not sin is a penis and a vagina. And what I feel was even crazier to me is that these people were so receptive to it. Like they just they didn't question it. They were just like Oh yeah, like that makes perfect sense. And I just sat, I just remember sitting there and I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, what is this? You know, and I, I just felt like I did not belong there. And man, it was crazy. And I, I did definitely go through a time where I felt a lot of shame about just having attraction and sexual desires for other people. But I just recently was reading a, an Instagram post that was talking about, you know, what are some of the ways that you have found that you found loopholes in this growing up and reading a lot of the comments, you know, a lot of people said that they, um, did anal, like if they did anal, then it didn't count. 
um, as sex. So technically they didn't have sex before marriage. Uh, some people were saying, you know, like oral. And then I came across, um, another post that was talking about something called soaking. And from what I read, I'm not hundred percent sure cause I'm not familiar with this religion in particular. Um, but this seems to be a, a teaching in the Mormon community. And it means that basically they are taught that if you don't actually do the action of, you know, going back and forth in and out, then it doesn't count. So to them, they can put a penis in a vagina and just lay there with no actual movement. So if there's no movement, it doesn't count. And I mean, I'm just, and when I read this, I was just like, wow. And I thought that some of the teachings I had were, were outrageous and out of this world. I couldn't imagine growing up and being told those things, like the damage that purity culture and a lot of religion causes to our sexuality is just, it it takes so long, it takes years and years to repair that kind of damage. And there's people that come out of it with PTSD and people who just are never then able to tap into this part of us that is so natural. And I'm just really grateful that I was able to get out of that environment and that I'm just so grateful that I feel like I've always had this part of me that never believed any of it. Now, just thinking back, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful that I have been doing the work. And I think a, a lot of releasing shame um, has stemmed from needing to heal those parts of me. It's almost like I'm having to go back to my 14-year-old self and tell her, like, it's okay. Like, if you're horny, you can masturbate. And that does not mean that you're a horrible person. And it's okay if you have feelings for this person. It's okay if your feelings then turn into desires of wanting to kiss or touch them or or have sex with them. Like It's okay to have these thoughts. And that's kind of um, a little bit of what my journey has been, is kind of going back back to my younger self and almost giving my younger self that reassurance that I was not in fact a terrible person for being a naturally sexual human being. So I just thought that I would um, share that little background story Um and what, what triggered me to want to share it was reading some of these posts on Instagram about purity culture. And I just, I really resonated with a lot of the things that people were saying. And it just seems like it was very, very similar what was being taught all across the board. Um, some obviously were a little bit more extreme than others, but the underlying message is ultimately the same. So now I want to get into another uh, story 
I guess. And it's, it's about my personal sex education or lack thereof. So first of all, I didn't have any sex education at home from my parents at all. Like that was not talked about at all. And I think being involved in the church, you know, that had a lot to do with it um, because we did not talk about sex. Like it was like such a dirty word. Uh, can you even think about it? So obviously we weren't talking about it at home. And then I feel like what was provided in school is mostly, you know, anatomy, um, pregnancy, STDs, and broken penises. <laughs> At least that was my experience. Um, I remember learning anatomy. I also remember that it happened kind of later on. I feel like it need, needed to be uh, taught a little bit sooner because I, I remember learning about it in like junior year of high school. And by that time, you know, a lot of a lot of the students were already engaging in sexual activities. So I think that by that time, it may have been too late for some people. Like some people may have already had STIs or STDs, even teen pregnancy. Um, so I remember learning about pregnancy, obviously, like how a baby's made. I remember learning the anatomy of the reproductive system. Um, I remember learning about STDs. And I specifically remember one day in health class, junior year, uh, where my teacher was talking about broken penises. Um, it was one of our vocabulary words. And we were split up into groups. And the teacher was going around like, I think, from what I remember, I think we had, each group had a different topic that they were to kind of fill out this worksheet on. And I don't remember all of it, but I remember our teacher came around to our station and one of the words on our worksheet was broken penis. Like what's a broken penis? And it actually is a thing, but I remember he came to our table and his face got so red, like I could tell he was really embarrassed to have to explain this to us. Um, and then he went to say like, oh, it's, you know, you have an erection. And then when something comes down on it too hard, it can like actually break. Um, I just, I don't know why I remember that so vividly. I just remember him being so embarrassed. And part of me was almost like chuckling inside, like because he was really embarrassed uh, talking about this. But yeah, besides that, I don't remember ever being taught to have a conversation about sexual health with my partners. I don't think I was ever taught to make sure that I take charge of protection. You know, I don't think girls are encouraged to carry condoms as much as boys are. Um, another one was birth control. I don't remember learning about different options on how to prevent pregnancy besides condoms. Um, and there's uh, this movie called Mean Girls, which I think many of you are, are probably familiar with. And it's kind of funny because in that movie, they they do a scene where they're in health class and the teacher's just like, don't have sex, you'll get pregnant and you'll die. And he just hands out condoms. But I think that's pretty much... Um, 
a sum of what some sex ed programs are like, actually. Like, as funny as it is, it's not funny because that's what some people are being taught, and it's not realistic. It doesn't prepare people to go out. It doesn't prepare young people to go out into the world as adults and then be able to have these conversations that are really important, you know, talking about I never learned about sexual boundaries and just those are the things that I wish I would have been equipped with. Um, I think had I had that education and that knowledge, I would have made some better decisions for myself. And that's why I think it's, that's why I wanted to include this as the sex, crazy sex story of the week, because to me, it's just crazy that, you know, some of these things are still being taught in that way. And I really hope to see, um, sex ed progress in schools and in homes. You know, I would like to see more openness in families when talking about sex and, And that's one thing that I, because of my experiences before and because of my lack of knowledge and education, that's why I'm so proactive about learning about it now. And I'm also very open to having conversations with my children. Whenever they're ready to, they know they can come to me and ask me anything. And I will provide them with as much information as I possibly can, um, of course, in an age-appropriate way. But... I just want them to be able to make good decisions about their health and just good decisions in general for themselves that are really important. So that will wrap this segment up. Let me know what you think. And I would love to know what was your sex education like growing up? And if you were in um, part of a religious group or anything like that, what was the education like? As part of the religious group, um, it's always really interesting to kind of see what other people are being taught. Don't forget you can submit your own crazy sex story of the week by going to my Instagram page at the Polly Pocket. In my story highlights, I have a story titled Pod Submissions. You can click on that and then submit a question for me to answer on here, or you can submit your story. So to wrap up today's episode, I wanted to answer a question from an Instagram follower, and this ties into our topic of online, online relationships, online dating, um, dating apps. So this person was asking about how a DS dynamic can work online, so a dominant and a sub relationship online. So this isn't something that I personally have experience with. Um, but I have seen some posts about it and it is a real thing. And that's something that I've recently learned myself that people have long distance, dominant, submissive relationships. So I actually, I went online and I found a post on a website called submissiveguide.com. And the title of the post is Cyber Submission and Exploring DS Online. And this was written by a submissive. And this person was giving tips on how to make an online DS dynamic work. So they give advice on how to stay safe online. 
Um, I think that's definitely important with all online relationships. So, you know, at first make sure that you are not giving out your personal information, such as your address, social security number, credit card numbers, or anything like that. Um, and make sure, you know, you're looking for red flags. So if they seem to be asking for this information right away, that's a red flag that mm, maybe this person isn't really who they say they are or in it for the reasons that they say they are. Um, this person also talks about creating boundaries around your photos and exchanging photos and if that's even something that you would want to do. So then they, they proceed to talk about what happens in an online relationship and ways that you can still have that dom-sub dynamic. So um, I guess some ways that people do it is the dominant will give their sub some tasks and the sub can send pictures, you know, to prove that they did it. Um, also, and I've read this in other places as well, is that the dominant will have the submissive write them a blog or an essay or a letter explaining their day-to-day. So it's almost like a report that the submissive is giving their dominant to show that they did do their tasks um, and it shows kind of what their day-to-day routine is. And that way the dominant can um, provide a little bit more guidance than if needed and they're still able to exchange that information every day or, you know, however it's agreed upon. Um, let's see. Something else on here is um, how you can still make it fun without actually, you know, since it's online, you're not having that face-to-face interaction. So there are some things that you could do um, that would be considered self-induced BDSM play. So keep in mind safety is what this um, person says in this post. Um, they also suggest doing things like under the clothes bondage, um, pleasure balls, anal beads, or anything that can work under your clothes. So something you can wear, wear at work under your clothes um, or whatever you're comfortable with. So you could tie yourself up. Yeah, so those are some of the main points. If you want to read this, the full post, again, it's submissiveguide.com. And the name of the post is Cyber Submission and Exploring DS Online. Um, So I'm sure there are many other blogs and posts on the internet. So that was a little bit of a gist about how online DS dynamics can work. And as far as what specific tasks can be done, that's really up to the people involved. So just like a real-time DS dynamic, you know, you agree upon your your boundaries and your rules and what you're okay with and what you're not okay with. So those conversations are still just as important to have in an online DS relationship. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. You can head on over to my Instagram page to continue the conversation. And I will talk to you guys next Thursday. Make sure you stay slutty and don't forget to play with yourself today.